electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast and After the Bell, earnings palooza and a winning streak for the industrials that now stands at an even dozen. We'll break down the tech trade and where this market is going ahead of a Fed decision coming up. Plus, RTX's rough day. Shares of the aerospace giant dropping more than 13% on news of a manufacturing problem around some of its most popular jet engines. The fix and the fallout straight ahead. And later, luxury lag shares of LVMH faltering today and worries about a slowdown here in the States. But will a rebound in Asia, especially China, boost the bottom line in the months to come? We'll debate that. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site. Full desk here on the full house here on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with that big night of earnings. Alphabet, Snap, Visa, Microsoft all out with results in just the past hour. Shares are on the move. We've got an A-team of reporters ready to dive into the numbers for us. Kate Rogers, Kate Rooney, and Steve Kovac all on deck. But we start off with Deirdre Bosa on Alphabet's quarter. Depot. Melissa, investors, they are cheering a pickup in revenue growth, perhaps a sign that the advertising market has bottomed. But a lot of the focus is on Ruth Porat, Google's longtime CFO, taking on a new role as president and chief investment officer. She said a little, it will include both external and internal responsibilities. She'll be engaged with policymakers to recognize the importance of technology, she says. On the investment side, she'll cover infrastructure, real estate, data centers, efforts as well to expand in the India region. As for why now, she said that she has been a CFO for 14 years, eight years at Google, six years at Morgan Stanley before that. So she said it was time for a new challenge. Margins were also a positive story this quarter, better than expected operating leverage and less of a jump in terms of CapEx that the street was expecting. Porat attributed that to a few things, moderating office and headcount expansion and a delay in data center construction projects. I asked her, and this I feel like is the question the street is most curious about, monetizing generative AI. She said I would have to wait until the analyst call, but Melissa, I'm ready. I've got phone in my hand. I will not miss it. So I'll jump back on when I get it. All right. Uh, you tell us when, Debo. Thank you, Deidre Bosa. Uh, wow, look at that stock reaction, Karen. It was good enough and then some. Yeah, it was, and uh, on so many fronts, mm-hmm. actually, just about every single front. So the advertising uh, strength, that was obviously a positive and hopefully will be a read-through for Meta as well. Um, but YouTube, also a positive, so that's good. And cloud, cloud was good. So um, there's a lot to like here. The valuation isn't too demanding, guys. Oh, the oh, of the other the day. I couldn't dear. think of it. Yeah. Um, the Ruth Porat thing, it's kind of, I don't know what quite to make of it. Remember when she got there, it was a, she was very much celebrated and she yeah. turned out to be great. It really was. We need a grown up in the room mm-hmm. and we need someone who's not just going to spend, spend, spend. They did continue to spend for quite a while, but I think they're going to spend on AI, but also they may be able to reel it in on AI if they could become more efficient, which they should be able to. So there's a lot to like here, um, but I always want to wait to the call. Sometimes they throw something out at you, but um, I'm pleasantly surprised. The comments so far really exhibit, you know, just a a carefulness when it comes to spending, prioritizing growth, but durably re-engineering the cost space. I mean, these are new words words from from big tech, but these are the kinds of words that investors want to hear right now. 
They are, although I think in Google's case, they want to hear that the core business is alive and well and the threats, the competitive threats from generative AI are not things that are hurting their core search business. And their core search business is crushing it. And, and if you look at then, clouds up 28%, YouTube up four after contracting the last couple quarters. Those other parts of the business that have been important parts of the story, um, I think, are what bring you along. And Google, the stock, is the one of the mega cap tech stocks that really um, is it's hard to say it's underperformed, but if you look at Microsoft and Apple, which basically got back and went through those those highs of two years ago, um, Google's still you know around 145 is is the target to to make a fresh new high. So relative underperformance, part of the reason Karen talked about the valuation gives investors the ability to follow through on this because the valuation is really of all of them makes the most sense. It's interesting. Debo just said that they pushed out the construction of a data center, and mm-hmm. and you would think that you know again I think if you look at think about the last seven. Months, you think about the introduction of chat GBT4 and really it, it for all intents and purposes it felt like Google was left flat-footed right and so the, the, it's come around a little bit so maybe some of that underperformance relative to Microsoft has kind of come out right now with where the stock is I'm with Karen I want to hear more on the call I want to hear um, what they think their ability to kind of commercialize some of the products that they are working on this Gemini is going to be really important to them and and again I you know I said it last night I don't think we're gonna see really earnings growth from this sort of stuff. I don't think we're going to see it until the back half of next year. So now, make no mistake about it, there is still pressure on that search business. I mean, that's what all of these business models are kind of going for, too. So, you know, the better it looks is the more incentive a lot of their competitors have, in my opinion. So, you know, I'm not chasing this here. You know, I know you're probably long and you came in and and, and that sort of thing. I would be surprised if you would be adding to it at this point. I'm I'm just saying that to the crowd right here before we have a better sense of just kind of what the outlook looks like for the back half of the year. And I'm not sure they're going to give specific guidance. They don't do that anymore. And I'm glad you mentioned the competition. Obviously, we're going to get to Microsoft in just a moment. But, you know, for some time, we've been talking about AI, Microsoft versus Alphabet, how flat-footed Alphabet has been, how behind it may be. We still have to hear about when they're going to actually launch the search generative experience, which is, I guess, maybe the equivalent sort of of the co-pilot that Microsoft talked about $30 a month, guys. So there's still a lot of details that we want to hear about in terms of their growth in the future. But for right now, their business is just firing on all cylinders. Yeah, and I don't think they're as behind as people think. And at 20 times next year's numbers with probably close to 22% EPS growth, I think you're getting, I think you want to be in the stock on the virtue just on valuation alone and the fact that they're probably not that significantly behind Microsoft. And oh, by the way, you know, margins, operating margins are now approaching 30%. Good for them. This is a really good quarter. I know what Dan's saying, up nine bucks, do you want to chase, especially potentially with a call? Valuation is compelling still. This is something that Karen's talked about for a while. And that 148-ish prior all-time high from November of 2021, I think on a benign tape. I mean, that's definitely in the crosshairs. All right, let's get to Microsoft now. The company beating on the top and the bottom line. Shares are down, but well off the lows of the after-hours session. Steve Kovac is here to take us inside the numbers. Steve. Yeah, there's shares falling, Melissa. Despite those beats in the top and bottom lines, let me go over the numbers real quick. Revenue, $56.19 billion versus the $55.47 billion expected. That's up 8% year-on-year. EPS, a beat, 269 versus the $2.55 expected. But Azure cloud growth, that continues its drastic slowdown, reporting 26% growth there. The year-ago quarter, that number was 40%. The overall intelligent cloud segment booked $24 billion in revenue, up 15% from a year ago. And some other key numbers to look at here. Search and news advertising revenue up 8% year-on-year. We'll see if the new updates to the Bing AI chatbot has anything to do with that. 
And by the way, the collapse in PC demand is improving somewhat. Windows licensing revenue was down 12%, an improvement from the 28% drop we saw in the previous quarter. And I'm going to echo Deirdre here. The call kicks off at 530. We're expecting guidance during that call. So pay attention, Melissa. Yeah, Steve, thank you. Steve Kovac, keep us posted on the uh, conference call as well. The context, obviously, is we just saw a 15-month high in Microsoft ahead of these earnings, Tim. Yeah, and I think that's that's it. It's almost like they dropped some of the, the spice from the earnings last week when you heard about the pricing on, on you know, essentially the AI-based office platform at 30 bucks and and the presumption that the street has already been able to do the what the market did um, and it took it to, to fresh highs or at least back to those old highs is is what it's done. I you know the the Azure dynamics I think are things we're going to continue to hear about and so um, you you have a lot of saturation in cloud this is a place that I'm not saying that this is necessarily where Microsoft is pulling its multiple it's clearly pulling its multiple right now on the software side but um, to the extent that there's a lot of great news priced in here and and this is before we've really seen follow through on some of these presumptions about a 30 buck uh, a month in, you know office 365 so the street was really expecting a pretty good number and mm-hmm. they really hit it and i'm actually surprised it's not down more i would have thought that this bar was really that the number we expect it's got to be better than that for us to keep the rally going here so hangs in there pretty well another one we've got to see what they say on the call yeah and by the way oftentimes they don't give us their outlook until after the show is off the air so <laughs> um, that's one reason to stay on CNBC.com, but we won't have that to trade right here. Probably. Yeah, and just to take another look, you know, Texas Instruments, which I, their largest customer is Apple, okay? They reported after the close, they're talking about inventory levels. They're talking about cancellations at elevated levels, too. I think that's kind of interesting. I know, Tim, you're really focused on the semis on, on a relative basis. I think there's things that are being said, AAC Technologies the other day, TSM last week, that don't bode that well. I mean, take out a lot of the excitement in and around, let's say, some of this cloud growth and the related AI stuff. Stuff. I mean, you know, the numbers had come down for a lot of these companies. and They're kind of beating those sorts of lowered bars here. But for some of those people, and, and, and we know who they are, you know, and, and some of them are good friends of ours and us who thought S&P earnings, you know, they don't have a chance of being anywhere near 220 flat or whatever. I mean, here we are mid-year, and it seems like that's not that difficult of a, of a stretch here, especially with the dollar weakness and everything like that. So I don't know. 31 times earnings, you know, Mike, as I said, Google's 20, Microsoft's yeah. 31 now. Again, slowing cloud growth, although still robust at 26%. I think revenue growth of 8% year over year is not great for a company with this valuation. I'm not a hater here. You're just trying to sort of read the tea leaves. I understand the excitement around the company. We've said it's probably one of the five most important companies in the world. I just think it's rich in this environment. Let's see what they have to say on the call. Yeah. Um- you would think that they wouldn't release all the spiciness, in your words, Tim, ahead of the earnings call, unless they knew that there was more spiciness to be released on the earnings call. I don't think they're, look, Microsoft, of all the mega cap tech companies, has been the most confident company of all of them. I don't think yeah. they're worried about anything, and, and they should be. I mean, you know, they, they I don't know, if, I wouldn't characterize, I'm not sure we're characterizing Google as having lagged badly. I don't think they have. I think we actually have no idea um, where Google really sits, but there's no question Microsoft has been out there on on the offensive, the presumption is that they're going to take search, that they're going to take a lot of places that that, that Google has, has has dominated. So, um, yes, I, I feel like they could have dropped that news somewhere in here. Um, it probably doesn't matter. The stock's, you know, arguably been the best performing stock in the world for a long time, and and this shouldn't surprise anybody. This performance. All right. For more on the reports from Alphabet and Microsoft, let's be, bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munzer. He's a managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. There's a lot to go through, Gene. 
Um, but I'm going to kick it off with a would you rather at this point, Ooh. given the results. Wow. Microsoft or cool. Alphabet? Um, Melissa, it's a pretty straightforward answer for me. It's Google, advantage Google here, not just because the valuation difference, but I think that there is a light year gap between what Microsoft has uh, talked about versus what they've delivered and what they will deliver. Again, uh, they're going to be a critical part to the AI future, but just to put some context about what's going on. They're growing revenue about 7% a year. During the pandemic, it was about 18% a year. And before the pandemic, in uh, fiscal year 19, it was uh, 14%. Growth rate has decelerated. And so this is all about the, what's going to happen relative to AI. The price increase with uh, related to Copilot Office is significant. That could have a 40% lever over a decade on their business. But I think you just have to keep things in mind. There is a lot priced in when it comes to Microsoft. If you turn the page and think about Google, this with uh, what I rather, Google, on the other hand, is uh, there is a wall of worry with investors because of that 90% uh, global market share and the potential impact as we move to an AI first uh, single result. And if we look back a decade ago, the paradigm is related to what happened with desktop to mobile. That also was a concern. If we were went back and looked at some B-roll of our conversations then, that's what investors were concerned about. And ultimately, Google made that jump. I'm in the belief that Google, their 20-year lead in search, is going to inform better AI decisions. We don't see it in the products today. I think that they will deliver on that. And ultimately, I think that's going to be good for ad revenue. And I think they're going to have persistent growth for the next uh, five to 10 years as they start to turn that corner. How do you read uh, the move of Ruth Porat into the role of CIO? Feels like they made a role for her. She was tired of being CFO, so they uh, just wanted her to stay around, wanted that continuity. And she's a class act and has some ties within Washington. And I think that that can be helpful to the company. I think the bigger piece in terms of the personnel is just uh, Sergey Brin starting to spend more time. It's my understanding he's been hanging out in New Zealand for a long time and now is uh, uh, unreported on campus for three or four days a week. And uh, to me, that I think emphasizes their importance. And just to uh, finally kind of uh, put an underscore in terms of where Google is related to AI, this is not a new topic. Microsoft, this is a, a topic in the last three quarters. Google has been talking about this since 2017 as an AI-first company. Again, we haven't seen it, uh, but I suspect that all that data, we know data and models and AI is advantageous. I think it's going to benefit their search revenue in the years to come. And I think Sergey is uh, back involved with the company to see that forward. Genius, Tim. So I, I agree with that. And I think Google is often seen as the one that doesn't get credit for a, a lot of the places that maybe they've dominated and maybe that's the fear. And back to Ruth Porat, part of the, I think she unlocked a lot of value for the shares. And I, I ask you as an analyst, because I think from a, a governance perspective and a transparency per perspective and the ability for investors to get comfortable with the sum of the parts and the pieces, um, is Google cheap here? I, I mean, it, you know, they seem like they're still not given credit for, for where they are in not just the core search business, which is the dominant one, but some of these other businesses which are starting to, to really pick up momentum. 
central question related to valuation is next year's numbers and are they going to be able to achieve those and so they just grew at four um, almost five percent uh, this quarter next year the street's looking for 11 percent they've grown for two consecutive quarters uh, if they can hit that 11 percent growth this is cheap this is about it's not as good it was uh, lower before but you typically don't get a company that has a pole position in a massive market that trades at a subpar multiple relative to the other leaders and so so I think we're going to fast forward six, uh, nine, 12 months from now and just continue to see this story move higher. Uh, Gene, one last question. What's the read through to Amazon here? Well, I was thinking a lot about AWS and uh, what we saw was just incredible growth with uh, Google Cloud and Azure. They basically didn't change from the March quarter. They're in the high 20%. And what we saw with AWS uh, last quarter at 16%, they gave kind of informal guidance to expect that to be more like 13% for the June quarter. So we're going to see this big gap. So I think what it, it shows is I think AWS is going to disappoint. But what's probably more important relative to the Amazon, Amazon stock is the commentary about AWS. Uh, I think this at this point, the June quarter is a throwaway for investors when it comes to AWS. It's more about, are they going to say that the bottom's in and the growth rate, we're going to start to move it higher. If AWS does not show improving revenue growth with the backdrop of cloud and AI, uh, that's a major problem. I suspect that they will talk about better growth in AWS in the back half of this year. Gene, great to see you. And of course, uh, let us know if you hear anything from these conference calls. You have Will do. a phone on each year. Gene Munster of Deepwater Asset Management. We should note not much movement in Amazon in the after hour session. We are seeing move in shares of Meta, which are up almost 2% at this point. Yeah, great question um, by Karen on the, on the AWS. If you think about the decelerating growth has been obviously uh, something with this story. And if you think about where they're exposed, this would be Amazon with their cloud. It's really small, medium-sized business. And if you think about Google and uh, Microsoft, where their exposure is larger enterprises. So maybe Maybe that's just a bit of a read too on you know like the the different segments of different businesses. So Amazon's going to be definitely really interesting next week. All right, and uh, by the way, on that Google move in the after hour session, that's twenty two billion dollars in market cap. No, more hundred. Yes, yeah, Missing a zero makes a big difference. Two hundred twenty <laughs> billion dollars in market cap in the after hour session. That's roughly the size of a Cisco. It added a Cisco on the back of its earnings report. All right, coming up, RTX having a rough day this stock with its worst drop since the start of the pandemic. The details on what rattled shares straight ahead. But first, the earnings parade rolls on, the brutal after hours action in Snap, and the muted reaction to earnings for Visa. The breakdown of both of these names and their calls when Fast Money rolls on. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The earnings excitement continues. Snap also reporting after the bell, the social stock beating the street, but shares are tanking on weak forecasts. Kate Rogers is here with the very latest. Kate. Hi, Melissa. Well, Snap reporting a narrower-than-expected adjusted loss in revenues were a slight beat for the quarter, the first revenue beat in the past five quarters. Daily active users also a beat at $397 million in the quarter. That's above the $394.9 million projected. On the advertiser front, Snap says it has record active advertisers in the quarter, up more than 20% year-on-year, and through improved retention uh, compared to this time last year. It did offer some formal guidance, which it has not in recent quarters. And that's why the stock's down. The company sees Q3 daily active users between 405 and 406 million versus the street's expectation of 406 million. The company says forward visibility of advertising demand also remains limited. Q3 revenues anticipated between 1.07 billion and 1.13 billion, and Q3 adjusted EBITDA of between negative 50 million and negative 100 million. Both numbers disappointing the street. And as you can see, the stock is lower by 17% in the after hours. Back over to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers, uh, Dan Nathan, you've traded this. So you know how I trade it? When it gaps down 17% this after is, each of the last five quarters. That is what the average has been. If you just bought it in the one or twos, you like a three-day rule or whatever, it always feels like they do. Job. It's you what they do. I'm just telling you, it's yeah. totally bizarre. Yeah, it's so That's wait until the thing goes, to, like, if it has a nine handle on it. I remember sitting in Miami when we were there in January. It was oh, yeah. down 20% or 25%. And it had a nine handle. I said, wait until it gets in a... I just think you buy it in a couple days. In a couple you know days. I mean? It's a couple day rule for Dan. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Just yeah. buy a little bit. Like Ten bucks. I'm surprised. It's, I mean, my only one that surprised us down this much. I mean, I get, the, I get the guide was not great, but it's a pretty significant move. Now, I'll say this. Facebook's probably going to be up significantly on the back of this, I would imagine, and it should be. But I think th- this is sort of self-first ask questions later right now. And 18% on this quarter doesn't make, I don't know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm just reading some headlines coming uh, about Twitter and Elon Musk. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that uh, tw- uh, that Twitter or X, X. now is uh, cutting ad prices. So getting competitive here on the social front, which could mean more pain for the likes of a snap potentially and some of the others. Um, could mean more pain for, for, for them in the short term. Though. Yeah. I mean, they're not really in a position to be that aggressive. I mean, it, you know, unlike what maybe you could dispute, but what he's doing at Tesla, he's cutting prices, too. But, uh, you know, I, it, it, and and are we calling it X, by the way? Do no. I have to? We, what do I do? Is it here, unclear guys? whether yeah, yeah, yeah. they use that name? I, are you Xing? Am I Xing? That's a different thing <laughs> altogether. Um, anyway, I, I, I think it's interesting to be have a strategy to be more aggressive. Clearly, yeah. they are remaking all kinds of things here, but I don't think they have the, the foundation to be that aggressive. All right, we'll keep track of this and not bring you any developments. Meantime, let's get to Visa, because that also reported, also on the move after its results, the key consumer name beating on the top and the bottom lines. Kate Rooney joins us with that report. Kate. Hey, Melissa, that beat for Visa was all about strong consumer spending. As CEO Ryan McInerney just put it, consumer spending remained resilient and drove growth in the payments volume and processed 
transactions as well. Cross-border volume also continued to be a tailwind fueled by travel growth from the ongoing recovery and summer tourism. Those cross-border payments are key for Visa. It's a higher margin part of the business that had been crushed during the pandemic. Cross-border, meanwhile, was up 17 percent in the quarter. And cooling inflation, guys, was actually weighing on U.S. payments volume. That was up about 6 percent, which was roughly half of the growth of the international side of the payments volume. Total payments volume, meanwhile, was up 9 percent. Revenues grew 12 percent year over year. Payments volume did slow slightly from prior quarters, and it was the smallest jump in profit Visa has seen in two years. Visa's rosy consumer comments come after pretty similar sentiment we heard from American Express on Friday. They saw record spending. MasterCard, meanwhile, reports Thursday morning. Melissa, back to you. All right, Kate. Thanks, Kate Rooney. By the way, the CFO saying on the conference call just now, travel into the U.S. still hovering at 2019 levels. So pre-pandemic here, Karen. So, I mean, it's a perfectly good earnings uh, cross-border. That's a nice margin business. It's just, you know, this is a high 20s multiple stock, low 30s. That It's a great brand. It's really a valuable company, but it's priced like a great premium brand. So it's, it's not for me here. Our crack staff in EC will now put up a chart that shows where we were this time last year, which was an all-time high, about 248, and we recently traded up there. So the armchair technicians, which I used that phrase last night, like myself, will suggest maybe we've topped out in the short term. It happened last summer. It looks like it's happening now because the quarter was fine. It's just now valuation might get in the way in the short term. I thought the numbers were really solid. I mean, 12% revenue growth, 13% constant currency. You can make an argument that... Uh, structural strength with cyclical headwinds, but we haven't had the cyclical headwinds. You know, it's the yeah. same kind of thing. In every other place, the consumer's alive and well. So um, I, I think a lot of the concerns you've had around Visa are, are things that could still be hanging out there. Um, I don't think the multiple's terrible. I, I think the EPS resilience this year looks good. OPEX was lighter, and I think that has something to do with higher yields. Um, I, I like it here, but I, I, cyclical headwinds are still out there. Coming up, it's not just earnings on our radar. We've also got a Fed decision tomorrow. One top market watcher warns we haven't seen the end of rate hikes. His case ahead. But first, investors leaving RTX on the tarmac. Is this a buy-the-dip moment or traders will weigh in next? You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got more details on the X ad price cuts we mentioned earlier. Steve Kovac has the latest. Steve. Yeah, Melissa. So the Wall Street Journal reporting that Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it now is reducing ad prices by as much as 50 percent if the advertiser books by the end of this month. Also said they're cutting uh, prices on video ads as well. Obviously, the story here is brands have pretty much uh, evacuated from Twitter since Elon Musk take over over these concerns around brand safety. Of course, they just rebranded yesterday to this X, causing more confusion among advertisers potentially. So they're trying to sweeten the pot here. I have reached out to uh, one of Linda Yaccarino's deputies to uh, confirm this report, uh, the CEO, of course. 
uh, and I'll get back to you if we hear back from them. But yeah, that just we're seeing this uh, from Google results today. You know, there is still a healthy ad market out there. It's just not going to mm-hmm. Twitter or companies like Snap. Yeah. Steve, thanks. Steve Kovac. Uh, By the way, some more headlines crossing from that journal report. Beginning August 7th, uh, branded company accounts will go away unless they spend $1,000 on ads. So there's more incentive to advertise here on X or Twitter. What's funny, this is just, this happened today. Okay. You're talking about advertisers leaving and and Kovac just said this for trust and safety issues. Elon Musk, who owns the thing and he can do whatever he wants. He's got 140 some million followers, but LeBron James' son, you know, collapses on a basketball court with cardiac arrest. And the first thing that Elon is doing is is pushing a COVID conspiracy vaccine theory about causing cardiac arrest. I mean, that's what he's doing on the platform. So if you wonder why advertisers don't want to be there, it's that reason. To be fair, we don't know that he's actually pushing that narrative. He tweeted himself. It. He tweeted it. Okay, but he's an individual with a view. I mean, he he's can- an individual with a view who owns the town square of the planet with 330 million, um, you know, at monthly active users, and he has the most. And they, we also know that they have geared the algorithm to push his tweets. Okay, so like, I, I, listen, advertising's down 50 percent, and they're cutting ad rates by 50 percent. What does that say about their ad models? So I thought we were risk- about to get a have at it. By the way. No, I'm just saying. I mean, like, like we're going in that direction a little bit. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Advertisers might not like the fact that he has these views and that, you know, his views are being pushed on this platform. Correct. Okay. I'm just that was an example today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Shares of RTX, formerly known as Raytheon, plunging 10% after the company disclosed a manufacturing issue with some of its popular Pratt and Whitney jets. The stock seeing its worst day since March of 2020. Phil Lebeau spoke with RTX CEO Greg Hayes this morning. What an interview. He's got the details now. Phil. Melissa, this is going to be an interesting year to come for uh, RTX and for Pratt & Whitney. Why? Because they're going to be doing a whole slew of inspections of geared turbofan engines. About 200 of them will be taking place over the coming weeks, and then another another 1,000 over the coming year, 1,200 in all. And here's what's going on. They have discovered a number of powdered metal contaminants, which could be an issue, on some of the discs for some of the geared turbofan engines. It's not all of them. They're not entirely sure how many. They believe it's a small number that need to be replaced. And it's also a not, not a flight safety issue. Let me say this again. They're, these engines that are on planes are not being grounded. It is not a flight safety issue, but 1,200 engine inspections will take place over the, cost of the, uh, over the course of the next year. Here's Greg Hayes explaining how these inspections will take place. The hard work is you're going to pull the engines off of the uh, off of the aircraft. You're going to have to ship them back to one of our overhaul centers. We're going to tear it down, and that process will take a couple of weeks. The actual inspection itself is probably a shift, maybe eight hours. Uh, if the disc is bad for whatever reason, again, you just put a new disc in. We've got plenty of capacity there, but then you got to reassemble the engine and ship it back out. So I'm guessing the you know the beginning to end of that process is probably about sixty days. Altogether, there are approximately 3,000 geared turbofan engines that are in service around the world. They're on the A320neos that are manufactured by Airbus. A number of airlines here in the United States have them. It's one of the reasons some of the airline stocks were under a little bit of pressure today. And this is going to cost uh, RTX at least $500 million this year. The total cost to take care of this over the course of the next year, year and a half, however long it takes, That's unclear at this point, but Greg Hayes said today 
They want to get this going as far as these inspections as quickly as possible. Also, take a look at GE if we can real quick. What a day, Melissa. And mm-hmm. I know I've had some people said, well, RTX's problems is good news for GE. Keep in mind that an airline that has a geared turbofan engine is going to stick with the geared turbofan engine. They're not going to say, well, trade it out and give me a GE engine. That's not how it works. Yeah, especially not when it's a matter of a disc. Um, Phil, I understand it's good news that planes aren't grounded for safety reasons, but when you're talking about 60 days start to finish on a process where you have to take the engine out, ship it in, strip it down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you're still taking that plane out of commission. You're taking it off the runways in in a situation where it's already tight capacity. Is there any thought of compensation that will have to be put aside by the invite? Okay. But that's the $500 part of it. million they, but, dollars is just the inspections, right? It's not. Well, that's inspections and the beginning of the compensation for the airlines. They the, need okay. to work that out with the airlines. And mm-hmm. I think that depends on how many aircraft ultimately are out of service for how long. Um, it, it, this takes time to work out. But $500 million, that's the starting point for this year. Okay. Phil, thanks. You bet. Phil LeBeau. Guy. Raytheon's notorious for moves like this to the downside. We saw it, I think, in April of 22. Stock went from 100 to 80, pretty much in a straight line. If you look, I understand this is the headline. I totally get it. We should be focused on it. But if you sort of look at the quarter, it was actually a decent quarter, 13% organic growth. I mean, there's a lot to like here. They will get through this. The question is, where do you buy the stock? I think I'm looking at it now. The low we saw back in, like, October of last year was 82 we're right around there now. So if this gets down to the service between 80 and 82 on the volume we saw today, which is about 50 million shares, which is 10 times normal volume, I think you take a shot with this stock. Yeah, the company's still going to have $4.3 billion in free cash flow even after this. And if you look at the market cap move for this, I realize there's still some uncertainty on potential damages here. I think the problem here is that the stock's not terribly cheap relative to itself. And and that's, that's, that's where you get. I, I, I think... Largely, it's an opportunity. I think it's totally an opportunity for airlines. I was actually trying to sell uh, Delta puts so I could buy it lower um, today on this news when it, it spiked down. Also, not just on Pratt, on the Pratt dynamics with RTX. It was also because Alaska Air had some numbers out where their third quarter guide was actually really not great. I, I don't see the same dynamics for. So the, the broader impact on airlines today, I think it's an opportunity. But you probably expected me to say that. By the way, Phil mentioned GE, a name you have dabbled in. Uh, it's frustrating because, I mean, you know, this is, first of all, they've, they've done a lot of really smart things in terms of the spinoffs and how they've repositioned and how they focused on core businesses. And, and frankly, this is a stock that I sold around 95 bucks. I was selling upside calls. I got called away and I thought it was a gift at the time. Um, we were joking before the show went on air that this is one of these companies that did one of these sneaky like reverse share spritz, splits where, you know, it's suddenly like a more expensive stock, like holy cow, which is what I expect from companies like AMD. See, with all due respect. You don't really mean with all due respect. No. But no one ever does when they say with all due respect. That's true. And I don't want just the sound back. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> coming up, Bank of California and PacWest reach a deal, and Wells Fargo announces a buyback. The big bank moves after the bell. Plus, we trade some of the biggest earnings movers from today's session, from music streaming to luxury retail, when fast money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing higher with the Dow extending its winning streak to 12 days in a row. One more up day will be the longest run on record. Mm. Whoa. Wow. That's saying something. That's it is. It really is. Uh, the record. Nasdaq climbing 85 points, the S&P 500 of 12 points. A couple of bank stocks on our radar. Bank of California and PacWest agreeing to merge, announcing $400 million equity raise from Warburg, Pincus, and Centerbridge. PacWest shares sinking as much as 27% during the session when reports of the deal emerged. And take a check on Wells Fargo. It's up more than 3%. The company announcing a $30 billion stock buyback and saying its board approved an increase to its dividend to $0.35 cents a share. Karen, your yes. pick. Oh, PacWest, I find yeah. really interesting. I, I mean, it was trading down. I thought, well, they're going to have or they, they canceled the earnings call while we were in the green room. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this this can't be good. <laughs> but in fact, they did come up with some sort of skeleton numbers that weren't terrible. And so the acquirer stock bank, California, is actually doing nicely. So in the after hours, this is up four dollars Pac PacWest from where it was in the green room. Good for them. I, I think it's great if they can if they needed help and we can and they can do a deal that doesn't require government capital. Yeah, it definitely yeah. takes one of the more troubled banks off of the you know table here. Yeah, I suspect it's going to take government guarantees, right, to get these companies to do these sorts of things. I don't know. They haven't mentioned it, so I'm thinking it's not in the well, Maybe I don't, don't mention it unless okay. you have to. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, I'm just feel, saying. Doesn't it feel like, I mean, ahead yeah. of a Fed meeting, I mean, yeah. ahead of the day that Jerome Powell, I mean, I feel like I'm in Guy's head right now. Is this the one that Right? Is it empty? Is it a scary place? Cobwebs, dark caverns. You know, sometimes interesting thoughts. Cavernous. But I mean, is that a coincidence? No, I think you a good point. Get ahead of something. And again, this it's not exactly what Sheila Bear was talking about last week, but I think it's sort of it's around the edges with that. I mean, there's still some noise in the space. Now, the KRE has done extraordinarily well. Again, yeah. in the absence of good news, bad news, those are going to levitate just to get to reasonable valuations. But I think you're going to see more type of deals like this. And this one went well, theoretically. I think there's some things out there that might not go as well moving forward. And then Wells joining the party, right, even ahead of New capital requirements, right. stock buyback, increase in the dividend. Yeah, they must feel very confident. I mm -hmm. mean, um, I was a little bit surprised in the timing, but um, I don't have a big position in Wells anymore. But this is this is good news. The capital thing, I think the fear will end up having been worse than what the ultimate Basel endgame capital requirements are. I'll say this about Wells. We all know the problems they've had and how it underperformed for years as a function of that, as they probably should have. But then it was a big, significant outperformer as, as some of the regulatory pressure came off them. They've underperformed J.P. Morgan by 24% in the last mm -hmm. year. So this kind of a move and, and what they're doing to, to, to get the stock price a little bit more uh, juiced up, I mean, it's something they almost should have had to do. I mean, they've really underperformed. All right. The Fed, less than 24 hours away from its next interest rate decision. And our next guest sees more than just one more hike ahead. Market researcher Jim Bianco runs Bianco Research. He joins us now. Jim, it's always great to see you. Um, so is, is this what Jerome Powell is going to tele uh, forecast or, you know, telegraph at the press conference tomorrow, that there is one more hike in your view? Well, they did uh, forecast that at the last press conference. Remember, they put out their dot chart that said that there'd be two more hikes this year. We're going to get one tomorrow. <laughs> I know, but they haven't believed him. They haven't believed him this whole cycle, and they've been wrong this whole cycle to continuously underestimate his resolve in raising interest rates. Uh, so we're going to get one tomorrow. And, uh, you know, whether or not we get one more after this, the market's putting about a, a one third chance that we're going to put another one in. And we'll find out tomorrow. Now, I think what we're going to find is that the inflation rate is going to be problematic. It's 3% now. 
it's probably going to drift a little bit higher, maybe towards four, not nine or 10. But that'll be enough for the Fed to say, maybe we're not quite done just yet. And there could be at least one more rate hike done. And then after that, the whole idea that the Fed would declare victory and then start cutting rates next year, I don't think that will happen. The last three rate hike or rate cutting cycles occurred because the Fed was panicking we were going into a recession. And it makes it about the worst time to own stocks. Now, they're not cutting rates now, but if they are to follow that precept, they're not going to start cutting rates till things go bad, whether that's next year or five years from now. But they're not going to declare victory and probably cut rates anytime next year. So more rate hikes, and then we hold at that higher level. Jim, I agree with you. No rate cuts. The market clearly saying you're going to see a rate cut in the first couple months of next year. I mean, I think that's what's being priced in. So with that said, if you're right, how expensive is the stock market here and what kind of haircut should we be looking at? Well, if I'm right and that, you know, rates are going to continue to drift higher and that the 10 year note, you know, is probably going to look at something with a four handle or a high four handle, four and a half to five percent over time uh, for those rates. That's going to provide heady competition for the stock market. Look, the long term measures say that the stock market should return around nine percent. If you can get five and a half on a money market fund and you can get five in a 10 year uh, bond and the potential of capital appreciation should rates fall, Tina is no longer available. And that will probably give the stock market some real problems as we move forward. Now, it's not going to crash or anything like that. But the thing about it is when people elect to say, I don't want to play in the stock market, they're being rewarded for it right now. It's not 2019 where you when you elected not to play, you were getting zero. You're getting half to two thirds of the return of the stock market with a lot less uh, risk. Hey, Jim, you just said that, you know, the last couple rate um, cutting cycles um, had been the Fed panicking because of a recession. Do you think that like, there's a new regime now? Will they not panic? Will they not look to cut so aggressively if they start seeing economic weakness after such an aggressive period of hiking over the last year and a half? In the last time the Fed declared victory in cut rates was 1995. The stock market was up 40% over the next year. And then Greenspan started using the words irrational exuberance in 1996 because things got out of hand. And the stock, now, the Fed's going to probably look at what the stock market's done in the first half of this year and say, I don't want to feed another 1995 type of bubble. So I don't think that they're going to be looking to feed that kind of bubble. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, they're going to have to continue to raise rates. They're just not going to acquiesce, I think, in cutting rates anytime soon. Besides, you could also turn it around and say, we're still producing 200,000 jobs a year. We're still producing positive GDP. Where is the damage from those higher rates? I know people like to say that there's going to be damage, and we've perpetually said there's going to be a recession six months out for now a year and a half. Uh, but until that actually materializes, there really is no reason for the Fed to cut rates. Jim, uh, good to see you. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Thank you. It feels like the stakes are super high for Jackson Hole in August, right? I mean, at this point. Well, they, they are, and yet on some level they're not, because we kind of, I, I agree with that. And I think Jim's right also pointing, I mean, inflation break-evens are moving higher right here. So that's something that I think people are having trouble reconciling. It, with the easy part of the inflation fight was over. Um, but I think the worst of the Fed's, you know, teeth, uh, I think, or, you know, gnashing those teeth are behind us. 
Coming up, it's a post-earnings roundup. We're running through this morning's uh, report cards, a rapid-fire style, and measuring the moves that follow. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. We've got details from the Alphabet call. Let's get to Debo for the latest. Deidre. Mel, an analyst just asked how they would monetize generative AI in search. Sundar Pichai kind of punted, and investors were perhaps looking for more tangible. So you have seen gains moderate a little bit, still at more than 6%, though. Instead, though, we have heard more about rising costs. Ruth Port, the CFO, said that they expect elevated levels of CapEx in the back half of this year, growing further in 2024. Primary driver is to support AI opportunities. Also, wouldn't say that cloud has bottomed, so perhaps somewhat disappointing. But like I said, shares still at more than 6%. All right, Deidre. Thank you, Deidre. Bosa. Let's get back to uh, Fast Money friend Gene Munster, who's also on the call. Uh, Gene, we just lost about a percent from the after hours high, but still, again, as Deidre mentioned, up 6% here. What'd you make of the comments? Uh, she nailed it. It's because they talked about some moderation in spending in cloud. That was the negative, the positive. As uh, the other 90% of their business, they described it as being strong. You put it together, overall positive, but a, a little bit of a drift from that high. Also, another big thing that caught my attention was they continue to expect um, uh, profitability to grow faster than revenue. And so that's a positive as well. All right, Gene, thanks. Gene Munster coming up. Can Meta thread the needle? The Tech Titan reporting after the bell tomorrow, but how much can Zuck's newest social platform boost the stock? We will get the scoop from the options pits right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Meta shares up about 2% after hours of Tech Titan reports earnings tomorrow, and options traders are betting on even bigger gains ahead. Mike Coe has the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, calls out pacing puts by about 3 to 2. Right now, the options market implying a move of about 9.5% by the end of the week. Big as that is, that's actually less than the more than 14% that's averaged over the last eight reported quarters. The busiest contract that expires at the end of this week were the 320 strike calls. We saw just under 6,200 of those trading for about $5.30 a contract. Buyers of those calls are betting that that implied move or a little bit more uh, will be following to the upside after earnings. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe, you kind of don't want to see Meta rallying hard into earnings, yes. do you, right? Bar gets well, higher. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Except for they have, I mean, <laughs> dramatically. But the, the numbers that Google gave today around ad-supported search are very good for, mm-hmm. for Meta. And, and double-digit growth on ad and an inflection, at least at some point here, I think is what Meta's going to give you. Who's a cute guy from Pennsylvania that had Facebook in, in the acronym? Mills. Oh, yes, Mills. He's, he's like, he's, he's lapping the field. Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? You don't want to see it. His fame trade. But this is one of those stocks that could actually continue to grow into earnings beat and then continue moving higher just on valuation alone. All right. For more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. We got so many people here on so let's go around the horn final trade time tim you don't want to hear my trade eem on to the next guy karen yeah on to that guy william my son <laughs> all right all right here we go um across the board beat for alphabet today if i own none i'd buy right here wow nice beautiful snap with a nine handle it's got bring it. your bring your adult kid to work day. <laughs> we got Lily, we got William. So we're missing three golf kids, Lily, two adopted kids. But yeah. you know what? We got the good ones, I guess. <laughs> International <laughs> business machines, IBM. Did you ever think the other kids might be watching? Of course no, they no. If, not. They're, but if they're not watching, they're not the good kids. That's true. Good point there. Thank Thanks you. for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.